Hello, everybody. Have you guys ever seen Madagascar? You know that part when he walks up? Hello, everybody. Just made me think about that, sorry. Anyhow, I am the volunteer director of missions. You know we have both paid staff and volunteer staff. And my name is Aaron Wells. And here at Antioch, we have a volunteer staff. And in, 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 in the way of missions, I guess, um, up until this point, we've, we've done some things. You know, we've gone to Uganda a couple of times. You've seen some of the pictures from that. We've done some, um, some cool stuff. But really, there hasn't been any kind of, I guess, not necessarily not a direction, but there hasn't been that kind of communication between the church and what's going on. And a large part of that has been because we're so busy with this growing church that we haven't had someone to be that person. And so my job now is to be that person, to communicate to you um, what's going on in missions in Antioch. And part of that is we have a missions committee. Dan Brosey standing behind me is one of the guys on that, with, along with five other people. And what we're doing is we're trying to come together and, I guess, provide opportunity for you to get involved. And that's going to work itself out in a couple different ways. And you can find that in... I have two things with me today. We have the missions. It's kind of a brochure. And in this, it has kind of what our vision is for the church and what missions is going to be. And then kind of the direction we're going. It's going to talk about as far as your world missions and, and the Congo and what World Relief Next and is going to be doing there and what we're going to be doing there. And then also like a lo- local missions focus. And that's going to kind of, you'll see that more next week, especially when we do the missions fair. So... Um, anyhow, I just I wanted to introduce that to you. Also, we're going to have a magazine. You can find out some of the things that are going on after church. You can pick that up. I just looked through it briefly as I got here. It's awesome. And you guys are just extremely blessed. I've never been to a church, and not necessarily that this church is like more special than anybody. I think as, as far as information, you have more than enough to make a decision to be involved outside just your house. And whether that's going to be just sharing the gospel with someone who, who works with you, whether that's getting involved in the local missions that are available here now, or whether that's eventually going overseas and doing it somewhere else, if you want to answer that call that Jesus has placed on your life to do more than just be a Christian, it's available to you now. And, it, and what we're doing to, to kind of kickstart that and get people excited about it is we're having a, a two-week-long missions focus. And this first week is going to be um, talking about what we'll leave next and some other things. There's two speakers we're having today, and Dan's going to kind of introduce them. So I'm going to pass the mic off to Dan. Thanks. It's really um, exciting to launch these two weeks. And I don't know if you guys have ever crossed the Deschutes River on rocks. Sometimes you're, you've, you've got a rock out there, and you, you jump from the shore, and you, you make it. And then you see it, and you're looking ahead, and there's another rock. And I feel like we're in that middle rock. And as I look back, I think, wow, we've, we've crossed some turbulent waters, and, and yet we've got, we've got to cross another turbulent water to get to that rock. But I just feel like we've done so much in the last uh, year as we've talked about missions and explored and strategized, but we need to share with you these waters that we've come through, and we need to look ahead together as a, as a church where we're going and cross these waters together. So we've been planning ahead as a missions uh, team here at, at Antioch for these two weeks where we're really communicating to you about where we've come and where we're going. We're crossing this river together. And I'm really excited to have with us two of the most influential missions thinkers who have influenced my life over the last 10 years or so. And one of them is from Burundi, and we invited him here for these two weeks. He's, he's doing a number of, of seminars and teachings. He'll be speaking here to the church next Sunday, and his name is Emmanuel Ndikumana. And Emmanuel is a great friend of mine. He's someone I've got to know over the last five years when I lived in Burundi. And he has influenced my life in immense ways, and I'm just excited for him to share with you what missions means to him. And the other person is Jonathan Martin. And Jonathan 
is the pastor of missions at Good Shepherd Community Church in the Portland area, the church where I uh, met my wife and, and attended for a few years when we were first married. And Good Shepherd and Jonathan were supporting church for us when we were living in Africa. And I traveled many dusty roads with Jonathan. I think we've got a picture up here to show who Jonathan is. And we've traveled together in Africa, and we've talked a lot. And Jonathan has captured a lot of what he's learned from me and others as he's traveled around Africa and lived in China as a missionary in a book called Giving Wisely. And so he's here today to share with us some of, of the lessons he's learned that, that have formed his thoughts on mission and how to give of ourselves wisely. And Emmanuel is going to share also from the receiving perspective, from the African perspective, what it's like to give wisely from a biblical perspective as well. And Jonathan's going to come up right now, and we've got his book, Giving Wisely, that's out at the book table this, this morning. And Jonathan has generously given us these books to, to sell and to put all the money into the work that, that Emmanuel is doing in Burundi. So the book is going to be out there for $10 this morning. That's a deep discount of about 25 or 35%. All the money is going to go to the work that Emmanuel is doing in Burundi. So I just want you to, to greet Jonathan. He's going to have a, some great words to share with us this morning. It is really fun to be here, and it's been fun to run around the world with this guy, and really fun to get to know you, Emmanuel, who's going to be up here. He has the important things to say. I just sort of get to come before him in some way, the forerunner, John the Baptist. There's Jesus right there. I'm not going to make a case for doing missions, because if you've come to know Jesus, and he's radically revolutionized your life which is what Jesus is in the business of doing. And if you have a house and a roof over your head and you have enough food to eat and you know the Savior, then you will be compelled to act. It's just that simple. It's not rocket science. We have been given eternity with Christ. Others don't even have enough to eat and have never heard of him. There's your case. I rest it. But what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about, now that we know we have to do missions, what do we do? How do we do it? A lot of people have been compelled to do good, and in their compulsion, and in their fervor, and in their heart to do good, but without the knowledge of what it means to be missional, they have done great harm. And it shouldn't be that way. It really is sad. And, and, and you're going, well, explain to me. So the best way to do that is just a little story. There are two men, very generous men. And they're walking down the same road. One on the right side of the road, one on the left side. And they come to the same bridge crossing the same river. And the man on the left looks down and along the banks of the river, there's a man just flailing in the water, grabbing into the water, and, and jumping into the water. And this man, not understanding what's going on, walks on down and starts to engage and, and ask him some questions. What are you doing? And the man turns around and says, my family is hungry and I'm desperately trying to catch some fish. Well, the generous Mart, this generous man, just like he's compelled to do, says, well, here, I have money. And he pulls out a $20 bill and gives it to the poor man. Well, that poor man's eyes lit up. And he actually took 
for, for me, really? I, and he hugs the man and he kisses the man and says, thank you. And he runs home to his family. And actually, he runs to the market first and buys a spread like his family has never seen before and takes the food home and they have a wonderful time as a family banqueting and feasting off of this this generous gift of this man. Now the man on the right side looks down the right side of the bridge and he sees an identical scene to what the guy on the left saw. A guy flailing in the water and he he goes down just like the guy on the left side and, and he says to him, what are you doing? And it's the same story. And this man thinks. He goes, stay here. I'll be right back. And he goes back into town, and he shows back up a few minutes later, comes down the bank with a, you'll appreciate this, you who love the Deschutes, a fly fishing pole. And there he sits on the bank and teaches this man how to fish. And soon the man gets it, and soon this man has a pile of fish to take home. And he, too, thanks the generous man with the handshake. It wasn't the kisses, and it wasn't the big eyes, but it was a deep-felt gratitude. That was day one. Day two, same two men walking down the same road. Guy on the left looks down. There's the same guy flailing in the water, just splashing, grabbing, and... And, but this time he's grabbing and he's sort of, every once in a while, looking back over his shoulder. And sure enough, he looks back and, and he sees the same man on the top and he meets him halfway up. The man comes halfway down, he meets him halfway up. Another $20, another bunch of kisses. Not quite as many kisses this time, but thanks. He runs to the market, buys his family some great food. Fabulous. Guy on the right, same bridge, looks down. And there he sees a man fishing. Small pile of fish. He goes on down and sits there and joins him and starts talking and gives him a few fishing pointers. And as he's teaching him, he's finding he's learning how to fish even better himself. And they sit there and they fellowship and and they have a great time together. And again, the man thanks him, shakes his hand, and, and they part ways. Day three, same two men, same road. As he's walking down, there's the man. He's not flailing in the water anymore. He's standing at the bridge waiting for his friend to come with his hand out. Another $20. Another happy man. This time he didn't get any kisses, though. He just ran right off to the market to buy some food. Now on the right comes, heads on down, sits with him, challenges the man. Hey, I've taught you how to fish. What if we go upstream, find another man, teach him how to fish? And the man says, that would be the right thing to do because... Now I can provide for my family. I can, help. I can help somebody else provide for theirs. So they walked upstream, found another man who was fishing, and they sat there and taught him how to fish. It took a lot of time. It took about six hours of this guy's time. But boy, was it worth it seeing this guy now teaching another. Day four. Man opens his door. And there's a crowd of people all with their hands out. Suddenly, for the first time in this man's life, he no longer felt very generous at all. The other hand, this guy comes, and the guy's not there. He has to look for him, and he finds him upstream teaching two more people how to fish. But seeing that he had a lack of fishing poles, he greeted his friends, went back into town to teach people how to make fishing poles and how to tie flies. 
And never before in his life had he felt so generous. See, we as the church in the United States, unfortunately, in our passion to do good, and in our generous hearts, and in our overflowing of emotion, are the man on the left side of the creek. And we train people in ways that eventually burn us out and make us discouraged. And we say, hey, I don't even want to try this anymore. When God all the time in his word is calling us to be this man and to work this way. There was a very generous church on the border of Mexico. I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego. It's really interesting. You're driving through San Diego and you see these beautiful homes. And in the distance, if you look out there, you see something that just doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right at all. Something is different out there on that hill. What is that? And then you realize it's, it's Mexico. It's Tijuana. And from, from 10 miles away, you can see the difference. And when you live down there in that, your heart goes out and you want to make a difference, rightfully so, because we're called to. And a, a generous church there had partnered with an orphanage on the other side of the border. I actually should say they partnered with them over on this side. And that orphanage had the reputation, the orphans in that orphanage had the reputation of being the rich kids in town. Now, that's not so bad. You know, if you're an orphan, you might as well be rich. But here's what was happening. The only reason I know this is because I had a friend named Walter that lived at the orphanage and was really teaching these kids in, in the Bible and spending time with them. And come Christmas time, here is what happened. <clears throat> Saturday before Christmas, the churches in San Diego are going to come and show their generosity. So at 9 in the morning, they make appointments with this orphanage because the orphanage has a tight schedule to keep. 9 in the morning, a truck shows up with tons of gifts for the orphans. And the orphans are just so delighted and happy. And they take their gifts and they smile. And the picture's taken. The truck goes back up to San Diego. And the gifts are quickly hidden in the back of the orphanage, because at 10.30, another truck is coming from San Diego, from another church. And they come in, and they give their gifts. And again, picture, picture ops, good pictures taken, generous gifts, and they take their gifts, and they go hide them in another place, so the next church that comes won't see all the gifts they've already received. Because if they see those, then they might not be so generous. Well, the next group comes in, and they really were thoughtful. They brought a beautiful gift of these football jerseys. And football down there, of course, means soccer. And they had, you know, the stars, their hero soccer players' names on the back, and they each had different numbers for each of the boys in the orphanage. And it was all these guys put on their jerseys, and they posed for the photo, and they had grins ear to ear. But the grins were not for the reason you might think so. Because after this church and the other churches left their way, quickly these jerseys came off their back and went and found their way into the local market where they got top price in the market. The boys with cash in pocket now came back. And that night, my friend Walter watched these boys he'd been pouring his life into leave the orphanage complex. And wondering where they were going, he followed them out into the dark of the night. And a pickup truck pulled up full of young prostitutes. 
And the money they had made in the market from these jerseys and these generous gifts were used to purchase prostitutes. And the smiles the church showed to the people, look at our generous gift on these boys' faces. And they showed at church that Sunday and everybody said, didn't we do nice? Look at how happy these young boys are. We're not at all for the reason the people back home chose to believe. How does that happen? It's a true story. And it's not true just there. It's true all over the world, people. Because we engage in a kind of compassion that ultimately is not compassion at all. It's the outflowing of emotion on people who have less than us. And that is not what the Bible says is compassion. Compassion is the outflowing of my life into another person's life. We see slides, and this is the way we're trained to give. We are trained this way. We see slides of of hungry kids, and we feel guilty. And do you know what? Sometimes rightfully so. In fact, for me, usually rightfully so. Because I have so much and they have so little. And in order to get rid of this guilt that all of a sudden I was laid on me by the slides or by the television program, I get out my checkbook and I send it and all the guilt is gone. I feel good. But did it do anybody good on the other side of the border? Did it do anybody good on the other side of the planet? If it's not in the context of pouring one's life into another, it cannot, will not do any good. Are you guys familiar with the Great Commission? Have you heard that term? What is the Great Commission? Someone shout out. What is it? Okay, good. The Great Commission. Okay, now think about it. Jesus' last words to his disciples. So on the scale of importance, someone's last words when they know they're leaving, knowing that this is the last time I'm getting with you, on the scale of importance of everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus said is important, where would these rank? Right at the top. And here's what he says. All authority, this is Matthew 28, and you guys should memorize this. As a church... This is a passage that you need to memorize. But watch what Jesus says to his disciples right before leaving them, but not leaving them. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So there's the main command. What is it? Make disciples of all nations. And you go, okay, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which in the New Testament context, that's the beginning of their journey of faith. In other words, get these people on the journey of faith. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number two, watch this. Teaching them to observe, to do, to practice, to obey, everything I have commanded you. Okay, How many of you have gotten down everything Jesus commanded you? Anybody? Raise your hand. Any liars out there? Okay. That is an impossible task to do it, let alone 
to teach. A dis- My job is to teach everything? Everything Jesus commanded me. And what this command, that's relationship pouring, that's life pouring into life. And what, the, what this has been reduced to in America is writing a check. I got a note the other day that says I could reach for 33 cents. I could share the gospel with somebody. But it wasn't me at all. It was somebody I sent it off to that could do it for me. Good deal? That's a great deal. But it lets me off the hook. Because I'm to be making disciples. He says, make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all I commanded you. What was this last command? To make disciples. So you're teaching them to do it too. So it's generation after generation after generation after generation. When it comes to reaching the poor... This is part of it. Did Jesus tell us to reach out to the poor? Yes. To reach out to the poor to what end? So that the poor will reach out to the poor who will reach out to the poor. That they will continue this work. The Apostle Paul said this to Timothy, whom Paul didn't just give Timothy some money, man. He spent hours and days traveling together, pouring his life into him. And he says this to Timothy. Timothy, the things I have taught you in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to teach reliable men who in turn will teach others. So when it comes to working with the poor, it's about pouring out our life. It's not just about money. Is it about money? Yeah, it comes into play. God tells us to be generous. Jesus talks about money an awful lot. But when it's divorced from our life, when it's divorced from our actions, when it's instead of actions, I'll go send you, but I ain't having nothing. You guys, Antioch Church, are being called to not only make a difference in your community right here by your lives pouring into the lives of others, but on the other side of the earth, by figuring out what that means, studying this book, studying the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, getting together putting not just your heart of compassion, but the mind God has given you to the task. Learning what it means, not only doing it well, but then teaching other churches to do it well as well. That's your calling. And you know what's so exciting? is I believe that's going to happen with you guys. I already see it happening. And I praise God for you. Now I get to invite... John the Baptist is done. I get to invite Jesus up here. (laughs) Emmanuel, come on up here. Emmanuel, I'll tell you, it has been such a joy to meet him. We have some some folks from our church. Dan Brosey was one that got to meet Emmanuel. And Emmanuel got to bless Dan's life and Dan his life. But we also have another couple right now, Seth and Trina Chase, that are with with Emmanuel, and they just come back saying, oh man, you have to meet Emmanuel. And so, um, I just thought of this, Emmanuel, God with us, you really are Jesus, eh? That's right. Um, But this guy really is, to me, in so many ways, he represents, you can see it on his face, he's just smiling all the time. Emmanuel, tell me a little bit, uh, just, you're from what country? The country is called Burundi. Okay, now you guys have heard of Burundi. Most churches in in the nation have not. I think there's a slide or something up here that has Burundi. Now, where is Burundi on that map over there, Emmanuel? Can you show us? Well, on that map, you won't be able to see it because it's so small, tiny. Burundi is one-tenth of 
Oregon State. So we blew it up so, a thousand times over here, and it's still too small. <laughs> right there at the bottom. Yeah. Burundi. And yet Burundi has seen more hardship in the last 30 years than almost any other country in Africa. It is. And tell me, even, even yourself, I know at a young age, what, what happened to you in, in some of the racial conflict? Oh, well, uh, that's where I was born and raised. In a family which was quite promising, you know, um, at, an, at an African kind of level, I was in a family which was quite large, quite nice, wealthy, and very quickly, when I was only four, there was uh, a civil war that broke out, and it wiped almost all the male members of my family, my father, my grandfather, my uncles, and many other people. In that way, I was quite very much affected by the war. Yes. And you were raised by your mom and grandmother, is that right? I was raised by my mom, by my grandmother, wonderful women. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's neat, whenever he talks of his grandmother and mom, he just beams, because these women poured out their life for him. They did. Uh, in fact, I was still the only child in my, in my family, which for Africans, as you know, we like big families. And so to be a lonely son is, is really hard. My mom was very young. She could have remarried, but she just decided not to do that, just for my sakes. That's why I'm very grateful to her. Wow. And tell me, Emmanuel, also as you grew up, not only were you in the midst of the Civil War strife, but God brought you to faith in Christ? Yeah. Um, through that loneliness and bitterness of you know, growing up without my father, without the people I saw just for a while, uh, I was very bitter, very violent because I felt so insecure. You know, going to school, seeing other kids with um, grandbrothers who could protect, protect them and so forth, and realizing that if I was in any danger, there was no one around to help me, uh, but God took me through that, one through the Sunday school. I went to Sunday school right from my very early age, so I got God's word in my life. But uh, the more I grew up, especially when I went to boarding school and then meet these other guys with no Christian upbringing, really, I, I saw two worlds coming into one, and I had to make a decision. It was at that time that, by God's grace, I gave my life to Jesus. And no regret about it up to now. Wow. And the amazing thing is, Emmanuel has been working, um, making peace with the, the very people that killed his own family. Amazing. And, and he himself will testify that that cannot, will never happen apart from this. And the other thing that I find very interesting and what's so fun about Emmanuel is he not only is Burundian, but he can relate to us Westerners because where did you receive your education? Um, most of it I received it from Burundi. Uh -huh. But at one point, by God's grace, I found myself in England uh, doing a one-year course in leadership from which I hope to move on and do either theological studies or economic studies, because that's what I was doing back home at university. But God, you know, in his wisdom, 
forced me, I say forced me to go back home. Um, so by that time, I had done just no, one-year uh, leadership course. I went back home, worked with students with what you know, I think, here as InterVarsity. Um, but later, because of all those struggles and the context, I found myself in a, in a situation where I need to do more reflection to be able to understand how to do this, how to do missions. And so God opened the door for me. I went back to England from uh, 2000 to 2003, and I did a course in a biblical and intercultural studies at All Nations Christian College, and I moved on and I did a master's in missiology. Well, fantastic. I'm going to get out of the way, but... Just being able to spend time with this guy, he teaches me all kinds of things. He's a blessing, and thanks for being here with us, Emmanuel. Thank you very much. Well, it's a bit of a challenge for me to speak to you guys for many reasons. You know, uh, having someone very fluent like Jonathan speaking in his native language, I wish I could talk to you in my native language, which is Kirundi, or at least in French, because I could do much better. Um, second, with all your technology, high-tech, and everything, I just get out of place. I feel like little David, now facing Goliath, <laughs> and people trying to give him um, the king's armor to, to wear. He couldn't. So I have all these microphones and everything, too hard for me. And I have to be controlled the way I go, how far. <laughs> That's not good for an African. Anyway, um, I'm really privileged to come here to the United States, see Dan, Brosie, and Tambri, where they go, who are their friends, because they are great friends of mine. Um, but also, coming to this right point of how to give wisely, is something very significant for me. Uh, so I want to take you to eat from my own perspective as an African from Romans chapter 8, 15 to 27. Once again, how do we do this in 15 minutes? That's an impossible task for an African. And I think those who invited me here made a mistake or they put themselves in danger. Because once I start uh, talking, there's no way I'm going to, sto to stop. And I don't care whether you invite me back or not. Um, because I was told, you guys, you have watches. I don't, oh, yes, there's one there. Uh, but we Africans, we have time. So when I talk, I want you to hear me and to understand what I'm saying. I'm saying it in my fourth language. So it doesn't come as quickly as it should. It doesn't hit at the point African thinking goes around. So they gave me 15 minutes. I gave me 15 more. Be warned, if I go beyond, I don't care. I hope you will keep up with me. So Romans 8, 15 to 27. Um, it starts like this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Dan told me that to say heirs and not heirs. <laughs> heirs of God and heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We received the spirit of sonship. We are no longer in the fear of being slaves, but we received a spirit by which or through which we cry, Abba, Father, our Father. Uh, please, will you still love me if I tell you what I think? <laughs> Promise. Because otherwise, frankly, I won't be able to talk to you. I listen to the worship. Most songs, I, I didn't know them. It was my first time to hear them, except the last one. It says, stand up and let us worship the Lord. And from song one to the one after the last one, it was I and me. I and me. And I wondered, who are we worshiping? God or me? I struggled. Because worship is about God. It's not about me. And here we read that we have received the spirit that made us the sons of God. And through that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. You see, it doesn't say that through that spirit, I cry. But it says, we cry, Abba, Father, I don't know what it means for you. When we are worshiping God through that spirit, it's not me and you, but it's us together looking up and crying to the one who made us his children. I know that, you know, Saying, Abba, Father, to some of you, like me, it may not mean a great deal. I don't know how you grew up. I told you I grew up as an orphan. But what makes me feel sad in this, in this part of the world? There are people who cannot call themselves widow, but they are single mothers. There are many Boys, girls who grew up not as orphans, but who never experienced the love of their fathers. So in many ways, they are no different from me. But you see, through Jesus Christ and the spirit of God that came to us, we are able to address God as our father. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion 
in which God is addressed as Father. Did you know that? Think, go around, go in Islam, go in any other region, and they know that they are around, you know them. In no one of them, God is being addressed as our Father. You remember how Jesus taught us to, to pray. This then is how you should pray. Once again, I think this is a problem with English because you use you for I and you for a group of people, which is not the same in French and other languages. So he said, when Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, pray my father who is in heaven. Did he say that? Why did he say our father? Not my father who is in heaven, but our father who is in heaven. Our father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's our father. He is our father, not my father. It's very important. I came to learn this through some of our hardships. Hutus, Tutsis fighting. And sometimes we are trying to make God, you know, to domesticate him and make him maybe a, a Hutu God if you are a Hutu or a Tutsi God if you are a Tutsi. Or you, might make, you may even be tempted to think that God is white and you may address him as a white person. Or as an African, I may be tempted to think that God is black. But God is not white or black. He is our Father. Praise God. He is our Father. So when we pray, you and me, we are approaching the one who made us to be one. We are brothers. We are sisters. He is our Father for all of us. And because he made us his children, because we are his children, we are heirs of God and coheres with Christ. But on verse 17, it says, If indeed we share in his suffering. That's something I'm sure you don't like, and I don't like it too. Because we would like him to be our father, we would like to be heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, but without suffering. Unfortunately, that's not the way it goes. Because the way to God is the way through the cross. And you know, the cross always precedes the crown. Jesus went to the cross before he was crowned. Another truth is that the shame and humiliation went before his exaltation. And the problem is that we want glory. We want to be exalted, but we do not want to suffer. That is not the Christian way. If that's what happened with Jesus, that's what will happen with us 
whether we like it or not, if indeed we are sons and daughters to God. So because of the suffering, once we choose the way of the cross, then the groaning comes. We groan. We are surrounded with suffering. We carry it in our bodies. We carry it in our families. Jonathan was just telling you that by God's grace, I have become someone who lives between the two worlds. In many ways, when you see some of the pictures of poor kids who are almost half-naked, skinny, hungry, you may be tempted to think that suffering is out there. But I found suffering out here. Would you believe it? I believe that there's a lot of suffering here. So we as God's children, we are not different. Because we all have to share in the suffering if we are going to be co-heirs with Christ. However, the Bible says, verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. I like that. I like it. You know, up to the present time, verse 21, the whole creation, no, that's verse 20, sorry, the whole creation has been subjected to frustration. It is in bondage to decay, to futility, to meaninglessness. I don't know if you see that around you. When you look at the creation, the whole creation, you know, it says in verse 19 that the whole creation eagerly waits for its liberation from bondage to be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God when the sons of God will be revealed. For many people, it's hard to understand how the creation will be groaning. As I say, we are so man-centered that we fail to realize that the creation is today is what it was not meant to be. You know that. You know it. When we are talking about global warming, you are responsible of it in many ways. You know that. (laughs) You even refuse to sign this pact and so forth. And it is making the world suffer. So on the other side, we suffer from drought. That's what we call it. Drought. But what is happening here? Floodings. And a lot of it. Many houses being destroyed. The creation is not what it was meant to be. And it cries. It is waiting for the revelation of the children of God. But it says that it has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to the present time. Why the pain of childbirth? Because you see, 
There's groaning like mother. Once again, this maybe doesn't mean very much for you because now you have come up with technology that helps mothers to give birth without suffering. Poor you, that not the way it is to be. But it's not only the creation, but the Bible says that we too groan inwardly. Verse 23, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, as we wait for our redemption, for the redemption of our bodies, we groan like the creation. But what I like here, it says, you you can see that our groaning is not one of despair, but one of hope. That's why when the, the creation groans, it, it is as in pains of childbirth. So you see, the creation waits with eagerness, with an eager expectation. Verse 19, it has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth. But we, also it says for us in verse 23, we heard the first fruit of the Spirit. That's what we saw in verse 15. That actually, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Sonship, has made us be no, um, adopted as God's Son. So, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. In other words, we have already tested to what it is to be children of God. That's why when we, we worship him, I want us to use more of we, of a community, than I, of a single person. And you know, that makes us wait with eagerness for, the, for our redemption. You see, we are already sons of God. We are children of God. And yet, we still wait for our adoption. So there is a tension. A tension between what is already there, what we have now, and what we expect, what is coming. We live now, but already with the test of eternity. And it's that which makes us feel, yes, this is what it is, but there's something better there. God did not create us for this. He is working for our restoration, for the restoration of his creation. That's why it waits with eagerness. We are moving from here to what we will be when Jesus will be revealed once again. In fact, look at the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. We have the story in the garden. And go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22. Our story, the, the creation story that begins in the garden, ends in the garden. So that's where we are going with God. So in that groaning, in that eagerness, sometimes we are speechless. We look at the suffering around us, we, the one we're experiencing, and we, we, we don't find the right words to express it. 
And praise God, because the Bible tells us that actually the Spirit of God groaned with us. Because God's Spirit is able, is capable to understand the meaning of our groaning and to give it the shape, interpret it in the way that, you know, goes in the right line with God's will. That's why we know that things can change. According to your time, I have three minutes, so be prepared for more. How does that relate to the theme of today, to the theme of giving? Is there any correlation? But before answering that question, let me tell you this, that actually the groaning, the restlessness that we, we can sometimes feel, it's not, it doesn't mean abnormality. For people who groan, for people who feel restless, because of the way things are now, as opposed to what they should be. That's not a sign of, abnorm- of abnormality. If anything, it's a sign of good health. The danger, what we should all fear, is churches, is Christians who don't groan, who have come to feel that calmness, that stillness that we are always looking. That's why I'm so afraid with some of our worship, which wants to bring us some peace and some comfort. That's not what we are about. So, brothers and sisters, know it. Groaning, restlessness, it's a sign of good health for a church. We have to struggle. We have to, to, to think, what do we have to do? How can we do it? That's what Jonathan is trying to help us with. When he looks at the, the, the topic of giving, he's asking himself, how can we give in a proper way? But I would like to challenge our thinking and take it to another step. Why do we give? First of all, why do we give? Why do American people like to give? You are known over the world to be so generous. But let me ask you that question. Why do you give? Or why do you want to give? Is not some of our giving, it's not only you, even us. You will be surprised. When we come here, look at all the display of your wealth. We think that we are poor. But when I go back home, Dan can tell you, I'm rich. Many people will look at me, say, you, are a, you see, wealth is very relative, okay? Now, uh, what, I'm, uh, what I'm saying actually, it's that what I'm telling you is what I'm telling myself. What I'm telling you is what I'm ready to tell people in our churches back home. So why do we give? Sometimes my impression is that our giving is that of like what I have called a painkiller mentality. We give 
One, because we, as Jonathan reminds us, as we really feel so sorry for those people who are suffering, and we don't, we want to give them some painkillers. That's what we think. But the truth is more than that. Who is sick anyway? Who is sick? My fear is that through our giving, we are trying to take ourselves painkillers. We want to calm our guilt. And that's not the way it should be. We shouldn't give out of guilt. We shouldn't give just to calm some of our pain. No. There's a better way for that. But also sometimes when I observe the way people give, um, being on this part of the world is very interesting. When the wall broke in Iraq, I was in England, and I saw how some of your brave soldiers do the wall. Stand at very long distance and send missiles thousands and thousands of kilometers away. And sometimes I have the impression that our giving is of that sort. You are here, Antioch Church, Oregon, collect money. Thank you, by the way, for buying the books, Jonathan's book, because it will help us. Uh, but you see, so you buy books, and the check will be signed, and I take it. Can you see that? Once again, I think that that way of giving is not the right one. Where you are so sure that this won't do you any harm. You are at distance and then you can send it right there and maybe it can kill some of the sufferings from those people. That's not the Christian way of giving. The Christian way, as I understand it from this passage I've been trying to share with you, it comes as an expression of a hopeful groaning. We give because we groan. We give because we want to see transformation. And we are part of it. When I'm suffering, you should suffer. When you suffer, I should suffer. Why? We are all the children in the same family. So there should be no distinction between you and us. It's not a matter of the wealth, of the wealthy giving to the poor. No, it is God's church coming together to do mission. And what is mission? It's God's church taking upon itself the challenge that Jesus has left us with. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. How did he send him? He took away his majesty, his glory. He put on humanity. He came, he suffered. And through his suffering, here we are praising God. And that should be the same even with us as we put our steps into his own. May God help us understand this. I want to close with this prayer that a friend of mine sent me once and that gave me that good. It's not yet there. 
That's how you do it, isn't it? I should have remote control in doing a bit count by itself. Is it there? Ah, yes. This is a Benedictine what? Prayer or benediction? A Franciscan. It was said by Francis. And look what it says. And I want this to be our prayer. Would you please mind standing up so that we pray together? If you don't mind. It's in your blessed language. It's in English. So it won't be any problem for you just repeating it as we pray. And I really want you to take it serious. It's dangerous though. You may not be willing to pray it. But you need it as a Christian. So let's pray. You open your mouth. We say it together, okay? May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half truth and sufficient so that you may live deep. May God bless you Thank you. You may be seated. You just stood up because I invited you to, to, to stand. Now I want you who personally really want this blessing to be yours. If you are ready, if you want God to bless you with discomfort at easy answers, you are the one I want you to stand. I will pray with you. If you are really praying to God to bless you with tears, stand up. We pray together. If you are really willing to be blessed with foolishness, stand up so that we may pray. You, 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 you are not required, all of you, to stand. It's only those who really want this blessing to be yours. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this grace of standing before these great people. Lord, in their standing, They are making a commitment. They are telling you that they want you to bless them with this blessing. And Lord, I know that this kind of blessing that can change our churches, that can change the world around us, that can change the world out there, may, by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Respond to their cry and prayer for the glory of your name. Amen. God bless.